Alright, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco, I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes, so grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco and today I would like to speak about something that is becoming more and more of a trend, in fact, which is probably something that you guys have heard uh, before, MLOps, right? (laughs) So machine learning operations is uh, something that we are more and more used to, you know, hear from um, as a combination of two essential figures in any machine learning workflow uh, today, which is the figure of the uh, machine learning expert or engineer, and of course the DevOps uh, engineer. So the the figure, that professional figure that uh, essentially is in charge of bringing uh, this machine learning model into production, and of course connecting and all the plumbing of these models into the real stuff, right? Into the actual platform or architecture that uh, that is running and providing any particular service. So in this episode, I would like to, uh, first of all, give an explanation of what MLOps is, why it is important, and uh, of course, what are the type of problems that MLOps solve, uh, and what skills do you need uh, to becoming a uh, MLOps expert? Um, because, you know, the job of the data scientist is evolving Uh, as we speak, and um, the skills that were required to be a data scientist uh, 10 years ago uh, are definitely different than the ones that we need now. Uh, If you remember probably one of the first episodes, I think it was within the first three episodes of this this show, I dedicated one episode to the describing the the work, the job of the the data scientist back in the days. Uh, That was like three, four years ago. And it is already very different from what it, what it, from what it is today. So um, I think that this episode will will be kind of a continuation of that first episode of Data Science at Home podcast, but uh, with uh, all the other things that happened in the uh, in the world and uh, uh, the type of evolution that uh, we have seen and we are still seeing in the in the field of artificial intelligence and machine learning and data science. So ML Ops, well. In fact, what is MLOps? If you look at the word MLOps, uh, it's composed of three, uh, essentially uh, three, three words, three, three super hyped words probably, uh, which is machine learning operations. In fact, it's exactly this combination that is creating a new figure out there of the MLOps engineer, who is someone who uh, can, of course, understand machine learning models and machine learning systems, but he also, he or she, also understand how to deploy these systems. Uh, And so uh, the ops in MLOps uh, essentially defines exactly those types of operations. So uh, together with that, there is also the the typical job or the job that traditionally has been assigned to the, the data engineer, for example, continuous delivery, um, continuous integration, uh, monitoring, etc., etc. And so I'm going to expand on all these concepts in this show, 
and uh, uh, this is gonna be the first episode of uh, a very tiny series about MLOps because it's becoming something that you know it's a field that is growing and of course it deserves uh, particular attention especially for those who are approaching the field of data science now they should not no longer expect that to be a data scientist you just need to master scikit-learn and, and tensorflow and pytorch but probably you're going to be required many more skills on a daily basis because machine learning has evolved since we got to know it for the first time years ago why mlops is essentially why it is growing now well because processes in the real world are changing are becoming more complex and not only that they are becoming more complete so if we look at the so-called machine learning life cycle this is something that it's in the books it's on google you guys can search that like you will find this usually it's like a five macro steps or uh, let's say components that form the so-called machine learning life cycle that is composed of indeed you know you start from framing the problem um, usually with, together with business people and uh, defining what are the business goals of that particular problem and uh, then of course you frame that problem into the machine learning uh, field not all problems of course can be thought as uh, you know having a machine learning solution Many of them do not, in fact, have a machine learning solution because probably there is no data or there is no data component in that particular business objective. So first of all, defining the business goals that can be achieved uh, via a machine learning solution. The second step usually consists of accessing and preparing or pre-processing the data for a particular model that you are going to implement or design down the line and so data preparation remember when we said that's where most of the data scientists spend their time that's still the case uh, and so that's indeed part of uh, still part of the machine learning life cycle identify what data might be um, involved in providing that machine learning solution for that particular business goal the third uh, state or the third uh, yeah the third component of the machine learning life cycle consists of creating the actual uh, machine learning model and so here is the uh, you know what the traditionally what the data scientist has been doing so far that is you know playing with a snapshot of the data and the many libraries that are out there now that is, uh, you know, I, I cannot make a list because it's it's getting longer and longer, such a list with respect to a few years ago. There are more and more tools that allow you to manipulate data and build machine learning solutions with, uh, with different languages and uh, from off-the-shelf machine learning to more sophisticated models, statistical libraries, uh, and of course, deep learning libraries, and so on and so forth. And then there is, you know, once the model has been developed and eventually tested or validated, uh, what you want to do is deploy that machine learning model. And that's indeed the fourth step in the machine learning lifecycle, that is model deployment. And this was usually the task of the, uh, you know, the data engineer who also knows a lot about the architecture and the rest of the platform and the technology. And I'm gonna go into more details later in this episode. And uh, last but not least, something that has been 
has become more and more prominent as an activity is the monitoring. I've been discussing this like years ago and uh, the good thing of this show is that we have been anticipating many of the things that should have been in place already years ago. Um, but of course, you know, people were, uh, many people were distracted by technology. Some other were not even thinking about you know, all the consequences that putting a machine learning model in production would have. And that's, I'm, I, I'm referring to the iteration and the monitoring and optimization, uh, measuring the performance of a particular model, performance not just in terms of, you know, number of computation or the hardware that you need to support um, in order to run that particular machine learning model, but also performance in terms of accuracy. Um, for example, when the data start diverging, the data in production start, you know, diverging from the data that you had during training the model. So when these things happen, we have discussed this a number of times in this show, you know, so-called statistical drift. Uh, that's where you would like to, for example, iterate on that and eventually retrain the model with new data. So that's the monitoring component that is still part of the machine learning lifecycle. And usually it's the part that lives in production because that's what you're going to do live when the system is running and when you're serving requests from your end users or from your customers. If you look at uh, the so-called technical debt in machine learning systems, this was something that comes from 2015, I think from a Google uh, paper. Um, essentially, writing the machine learning code that you need to implement that particular model is really a tiny fraction of the entire uh, set of activities that you need to perform in order to uh, provide that machine learning solution in production systems. And so you have a ton of other things that you have to take care of. Um, if you are a data scientist, of course, uh, you have to write the machine learning code, but you have to uh, extract particular features that might be more uh, prominent or more interesting for the model to learn uh, or to track uh, for the data. You need to verify data. You need to, well, first of all, collect data, then verify the data, uh, measure the quality of the data, uh, then you have uh, the, you know, serving the model. Uh, and so you need to know a thing or two about infrastructure. Then you need to manage these machine learning resources. Uh, for example, which machine are you running this machine learning model? Does it require GPUs? Is it in the cloud in AWS or Google Cloud? Or is it on-premise? Or is it a hybrid cloud? And then the monitoring component. Where is the monitoring sitting? in on-premise or on another cloud. So you have some sort of inter or intra-cloud um, monitoring systems and so on and so forth. The, the, the picture can be as complicated as you like. So let's go back to what are the problems that actually MLOps solve? Well, the thing is that there are many dependencies uh, when you have data that keeps changing, right? What you would like to do is, of course, taking into account the fact that business objectives in the model can change and actually will change, you know, because machine learning has never been a static field in which you have data today and that data will never be different tomorrow. You know, that's never the case. You know, that happened years ago when we had very simple models that, you know, they were kind of more rule-based systems for which you had, you know, you just applied these rules and you enforced this, you know, logic into your business, kind of, you know, definitely not in a smart way, but very mechanically. Today, however, data keep changing. 
And so there is this data continuously changing and you would like to absorb any possibility that this data, for example, start degrading in time. Uh, and you would like to consider that in your uh, AI based solution because you would like a model that is robust enough to the changing to continuous to the data that is continuously changing. The, the second problem that MLOps want to solve is definitely uh, communication gaps. So this is more like, um, you know, the soft skills that have always been required in um, complex teams or teams with, you know, people with uh, heterogeneous backgrounds. Uh, so in the themes of today, uh, it's much, it's kind of the rule rather than the exception to find technical and non-technical people that have a common goal. And so they need to collaborate and they, they do collaborate on a daily basis, which means that they need to speak the same language. And, and that's never the case. So the problem is that technical people speak a language that, of course, business people or non-technical people uh, struggle to, to understand. And therefore, there is a gap between these two types of, uh, of people. And that's most of the time I've seen to be uh, one of the major reasons for projects to fail. So MLOps try to fill that gap, uh, that communication gap, and um, with one figure that is kind of, you know, a mix of the two best representatives of technical and non-technical teams. Hey folks, if building software is your passion, you'll love ThoughtWorks Technology Podcast. It's a podcast for techies by techies. Their team of experienced technologists take a deep dive into a tech topic that's piqued their interest. It could be how machine learning is being used in astrophysics or maybe how to succeed at continuous delivery. They're always coming across fascinating ways technology is advancing and love to share what they learn. Whatever the topic, the discussions are always lively, informative, and opinionated. The team of co-hosts are experienced technologists from across ThoughtWorks and include ThoughtWorks CTO Dr. Rebecca Parsons and renowned writer and speaker Neil Ford. Each episode, the podcast features a guest or two to talk about their particular passion and areas of expertise. Past guests have included eminent technologists like Martin Fowler, Mark Richards, Dana Boyd, and many others. If you like this show, I think you should give ThoughtWorks Technology Podcast a try. To find out more, just search for ThoughtWorks Technology Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And of course, make sure you subscribe. And last but not least, I would say that um, the figure of the data scientist has changed in the years. I've seen that uh, because it has happened very, very fast, at a very fast pace. A data scientist, even five years ago, was not required to know so much about the infrastructure or the hardware or the cloud or the pipelining or the APIs that uh, his or her particular model would have been served by. And the data scientist of five years ago was supposed to know a bit of Python and quite a bit of statistics and just, you know, play with the data and come with the best possible solution for that particular business goal. Today, the data scientist is asked to bring that model into life, into the real world. And so that Python Jupyter notebook that was sitting on your laptop five years ago, and, um, and that was enough for, you know, for your task as a data scientist, well, that's probably just the beginning now. Because once you have these models already 
in place in your Jupyter notebook and everything works and the accuracy is fine, it's acceptable and you have your holdout set that allows you to you know, assess the quality of that particular prediction, well, then it's time to show the people and uh, let them use your finding, let them use your, um, your machine learning model. And uh, that, you know, usually what happened uh, five years ago is that you needed a, a, a DevOps who you would have explained what type of model you had, many times not so much. So you delivered this, let's say, black box, whatever it was, um, to the DevOps and the DevOps just consumed that black box and, uh, you know, try to put it behind an API or or simply uh, place as a standalone application or a, or a Python script that got orchestrated by whatever technology out there at the moment. And that was a very clunky process. It is still a very clunky process because when you have no clue of what's in that black box, you cannot make a, you know, let's say a smart decision about what's the type of infrastructure or what's the type of architecture that I'm going to use to serve that particular model. Serving a neural network with 100 million parameters is not as easy as, uh, for example, serving a linear regression with a bunch of parameters that can probably spit the prediction in a fraction of a millisecond, right? And so if you don't know these things, and that was the case years ago, because there were two different people taking care of these two different things, being also a communication gap between the two, that was quite difficult to search and find the best decision or the best architectural choice for that particular model. So let me tell you about what are the skills that you need to become an MLOps. Um, well, the first thing that you need to do, uh, and this, and here I'm following the life cycle and probably expanding on that, is framing the machine learning problems from the business objectives. So this is something that, uh, in my opinion, is where creativity is required. Because this is, you know, this there is a lot of human factor in this particular task. Uh, framing a machine learning problems from a business objective is not easy. And it's something that usually comes with experience. And um, due to the fact that there is no written rule out there that says this particular business objective can be translated one-to-one -to, -one to this particular machine learning solution. Uh, also defining so-called key performance indicators or KPIs is something that is, you know, kind of an art. Um, there are so many KPIs out there, uh, you know, from the books. But if you follow the books, I mean, it means that your business is somehow responding to some rules that someone has forged for you, which is never the case. Um, and so observing the wrong KPI can give you a very wrong picture of what's going on in your business. And uh, you might be playing easy or too hard uh, and you will, you're going to miss many of the business objectives that you, that you have in mind. The second step is definitely providing the uh, machine learning solution for that particular problem. As I said, not all problems should be solved with machine learning. Many problems should not be solved with machine learning, should not be solved even with data science at all. There is a way to understand if a particular uh, problem fits the machine learning field. Otherwise, it would be like, you know, just solving a problem with the wrong tools. 
Now, when you understand that your problem is, in fact, a machine learning problem, the next thing that you would like to do is uh, definitely looking for the data. And this is also a relatively creative part of the job because no data is born equal. And, um, you know, there are data that have much more expressive power. There is data that, uh, you know, they bring a much stronger signal and some other data that are very redundant. And so, you know, their signal is repeated over and over. And so there are data that are sensitive, for example, for which you need some sort of governance policy that puts your data in a GDPR-free setting. And of course, there are data formats, data that come in form of static files or data that come from IoT devices as a never-ending stream. Then there is the number of sources. Uh, how many data sources are you considering? And then there is the integration of these sources. And then there is how easy it is to collect any particular source of data. Uh, as I said, many data can be you know, very difficult to collect because they are rare or they are very difficult to collect because they are expensive. If you think in healthcare or pharmaceuticals, well, data there is quite weird because, you know, most of the time these data are not easily disclosed for industrial secrets or patents and the protection um, and so or sensitivity of the of the end user or the patients. So these type of data, for example, require additional thinking due to the fact that, for example, if you have to deal with uh, a machine learning model that requires a large volume of these data and these data are extremely expensive to collect, well, that means that probably your machine learning solution is going to be too expensive to, to put in place. And then, you know, just because the data makes it prohibitive to uh, consider that problem with uh, as a machine learning problem. So, you know, that's where the, um, let's say, the human factor kicks in here. You know, this is something that has to be assessed on a day-to-day -day basis and business-by-business -business type. The next tasks are those that we are used to as, you know, to think of as a data scientist. This was uh, and still is what the traditional data scientist should be doing. Uh, that is preparing the data, pre-processing the data and uh, experimenting with this snapshot of data and play with all the libraries out there, statistical libraries or TensorFlow, or deep learning libraries, PyTorch, you name it. So this is where, you know, the original job of the data scientist is actually about. And so this stays and uh, it stays exactly in the same terms as it was five or 10 or more years ago. The only thing that I would definitely add to this task um, as an MLOps is the reproducibility factor or capability of your uh, machine learning system. Uh, something that uh, we have been discussing on this, app, on this show already once or twice. Uh, and so where I mentioned, for example, tools like DVC, uh, data version control, that would allow you to track data and models at the same time. So that's, that's some, a very powerful concept and tool that allows you to version your model and version your data and defining pipelines that are 100% reproducible, which means that when Along that pipeline, something is changing from the model perspective, for example, a particular parameter, or from the data perspective, for example, a particular mean or an average or any other statistical measure. Well, what happens then is that that pipeline will be affected along the way 
just by that particular change. And what you would like is, of course, to rerun that piece of the pipeline that has uh, supposed to change. Uh, so this means that uh, not only that, if you start versioning uh, data that change and models that change, you can also, you know, like in Git, you can also reproduce these changes and reproduce all the versions of your pipeline at any point in time. And this is something that, to be honest, I haven't seen, you know, working well, especially in the in the corporation, and for which um, many tools are out there, of course, that provide this reproducibility. But it's a concept that, in many teams where I have been personally, uh, it you know people are not really familiar with the concept of of reproducibility and not even of the benefits of having a fully reproducible system. So this is something I would like to stress on and it's definitely part of the MLOps arsenal of skills to, to master for sure. Finally, we have uh, other couple of tasks that are extremely important that is very much related to the reproducibility uh, concept, uh, which is building machine learning pipelines. So machine learning pipelines are usually tightly coupled with the hardware or the cloud that is actually running these calculations because things can happen and things can go wrong along the line and that particular error can come from the pipeline itself, so the software or the hardware. For example, a machine that gets disconnected or an API that breaks or a database connection that is is broken and uh, and of course doesn't feed the model with uh, with fresh data anymore and so all these things again you would like to master the tools that allow you to um, measure what's going on in your machine learning pipeline probably the most important part and that's kind of a new skill at least for the traditional data scientist is deploying models to production systems. So this is something that all the data scientists out there that I've seen that I've been dealing with in the last five years, they were kind of, you know, uh, a production system, I don't know how to deploy, or some of them, yeah, I do know how to deploy, but I better ask the engineer in the team because that's not really my thing. Well, guess what? As an ML op, that's your job, my friend. You not only have to write a deep learning net neural network or an off-the-shelf machine learning model, but you better know how to deploy such model in production. And that's exactly, in my opinion, that's something that should always have stayed in the hands of one person because that person knows the complexity, what he's supposed to know, the complexity um, of that particular model and the requirements of that particular model in terms of hardware, in terms of uh, architecture requirements, in terms of delays or performance, volume of data required for that particular model to, to work with a certain, with a minimal accuracy and so on and so forth. And so we have seen slowly the, you know, pure data scientists getting more and more familiar with things like uh, Flask or an API, frameworks that allow them to to write an API or create API endpoints and uh, place their models behind these API endpoints so that people could consume models as uh, regular internet services. Uh, or we have seen, for example, the traditional data scientist getting more and more familiar with things like Docker containers or virtual machines uh, in order to pack their models 
into uh, containers that would have been orchestrated by things like you know Kubernetes and other approaches. So the the data scientist that had all these skills in place a few years ago was kind of an exception, in the sense that it was not required uh, even from you know from commercial environments. It was not required to have a data scientist who has to play with statistics and also play with Docker containers. That was never the case, or very rarely. Uh, now, with MLOps, that's the rule. A data scientist has to have these other skills. He or she has to know how to place their model behind a Flask API, for example, or an API in general. Um, and he has to know if the model makes more sense to put place the model in a container and deploy it into a Kubernetes cluster. Or if the model is going to be fed by, for example, a Kafka stream, right? So these are the type of considerations that the modern data scientist should have in order to embrace the MLOps um, field or the MLOps set of skills and define himself or herself an MLOps engineer. The very last thing is about monitoring. Now, I've seen startups and relatively large organizations providing tools for monitoring data and models. The ecosystem is getting more and more crowded uh, of this type of you know, skills and capabilities. And uh, without any surprise, to be honest, because monitoring and uh, model maintenance is something that has always been part of uh, in my head, it, it's always been part of the machine learning life cycle. As much as it was for traditional software, you cannot deploy a software if you don't, for example, run tests, right? So the concept of unit testing, the concept of testing in general, that comes from software engineering principles. And I don't see why uh, we should have not been applying these things to data science, which is just a branch of software engineering. And so monitoring and maintaining models in production is uh, an essential task um, that must be performed as soon as the model is in the jungle or in the wild world, right? Tracking performance degradation uh, is something that I've been advocating for years now. Uh, that's something that, for example, when I mentioned the statistical drift and uh, there is an episode on podcast datascienceatom.com um, in which I explain exactly that part in, in which I said, look, if you're training your model and uh, all of a sudden or with time after you place your model in production, the data that that model is going gonna, is gonna to make prediction on is statistically different from the, from the data that you have been using during training. Well, I'm sorry, that model is not going to perform as good as your training set or your test set, which, by the way, was just an holdout set from the initial training chunk of data. You know, this happens all the time. If you don't have a system to monitor the performance degradation of your, of your prediction, well, then you have a problem. And so you will never know when it's time to probably retrain the model or recreating a training set or a fresh training set. That's what we have been doing at Amethyx for years now, probably a decade, uh, without, of course, telling people that we were doing that. And that's why models were super robust <laughs> without them to know. <laughs> now, if you put all these skills into in the hands of one person, 
right? And that's, you know, ideally in one person. But of course, you would like to have multiple ML ops in the same team, um, you know, to, to manage the volume of tasks that they can take care of. But essentially, you know, ideally, you would like to have one person to manage and to have all these skills in place because you would remove immediately a lot of the fragmentation and communication gap that I've been mentioning at the beginning of the episode and definitely speed up any machine learning relating process that you might have in your organization. This episode terminates here, but of course in the next one I'm going to go into some of the most important machine learning ops or ML ops principles that you should be observing or you definitely have to know about. And then, of course, some strategies to deal with multiple MLOps in the team and uh, how to optimize your workflows with people holding such powerful skills. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.